Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Courtney. And this is the Dance Better Podcast. This is our platform to shed some light on the impact ballet training has on the mental health of both current and former dancers. Together with some amazing experts, we're discovering what things dancers can do to help counteract some of those habits and ideas that might not be serving them. So keep listening to hear real stories from real dancers, mental health professionals, and many more to help you dance better. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! <laughs> Yay! Today's guest, as you guys can tell from the title of today's episode, really needs no introduction. She's had an illustrious career with the New York City Ballet as a principal, as well as a writer for Dance and Point magazines. Abby Stafford is a household name in the ranks of ballerinas worldwide. You guys are listening to this episode on New Year's Day, but we did record it a few weeks ago. But we thought today would be the perfect time to release our conversation with her as it's chock full of inspiration and hope. The perfect episode for New Year's Day. We have so much to talk about that we are releasing this conversation in two episodes. So stay tuned next week for part two. Yes, in this conversation, she spoke in depth about her experiences with mental health from her years as a student and then growing through the ranks at New York City Ballet and now as a teacher at SAB. She is truly an inspiration and she was so vulnerable in sharing with us today. I cannot wait for you guys to listen to it and let us know what you think. Yeah, so grounded, so down to earth. She was very easy to talk to and such a great guest. Uh, we want to just remind you guys that we are not mental health professionals. So anything that you hear us say on the episode are just things from our lives, things that worked for us, things that didn't work for us, what struggles that we had, and none of that should be considered medical advice. However, if any of these things do resonate with you, we encourage you to seek out the resources in your community or to talk to your doctor to find the best healthcare professional for you. We also want to mention anything Sarah and I say in this podcast is a reflection of our dance experience as a whole and not any one teacher, studio, or company. Secondly, the opinions shared by our guest in this episode are those of our guest and their personal experience from their individual viewpoint. Experiences and opinions shared, while cathartic, are also for a mutual purpose to aid in opening a dialogue about making experiences better for artists everywhere. Part one was awesome, and part two is even better. Here you go, guys. Hello, hello, Courtney. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I want to welcome Miss Abby Stafford into the show. Hi, Abby. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, man, we were just so thrilled when we got your response that you're interested in our show. So thank you. Thrilled and a little bit starstruck. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Um, no, thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, how are you doing today? What's going on? Are you are you feeling good? I know you're probably I know you're in the midst of law school right now. So are you, is it final getting to be finals time for you or? It is. Um, yeah. I actually, yeah, so I, I have finals. Well, just one final, actually. I'm in four courses, but I only have one final, okay. which is wonderful. And then I have a yeah. paper. So I've been, I've just been checking off all my assignments for this nice. semester. And I started <laughs> with like, you know, five simulations, four research projects, 
yeah. I was reading and, and I've just checked them all off. So awesome. Yeah. That's great. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's no, that's no easy feat, <laughs> especially yeah. with a little one at home. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. How are you feeling today, Courtney? I am doing pretty well. It's a kind of a rainy day here, so we'll have to see yeah. if this if the storm comes. We might get a little rain in the background, but um, yeah. other than that, I like I like storms, so it's a pretty good um, <laughs> chill chill day this morning over awesome. here. Awesome, <laughs> very good. All right, guys. Well, we're gonna dive in, and Abby, we would love to hear your story, just kind of briefly, how you started ballet, what your trajectory looked like, and how you got to be a principal dancer with New York City Ballet. Yeah, so I started ballet when I was six, and I started in Carlisle, Pennsylvania at Central Pennsylvania Youth Ballet, and um, I was just in class pretty much all the time. In ballet class, I knew it's what I wanted to do pretty much from the beginning. Um, I just loved it. So I was in Carlisle until I was 16 studied there. I did a few summer intensives at SAB when I was 14, 15, 16. And then when I was 16, I went ahead and stayed for the winter term at SAB. So I moved to New York City, moved into the dormitory, and I was there for about a year and I guess about two months. And then in November of my second year, um, I got invited to become an apprentice with New York City Ballet, and then, and then um, after, so that was for the Nutcracker run, and then at the end of the Nutcracker run, I was given a core contract, and then promoted to soloist two years later, and then principal dancer, I guess, five years after that, so it took me seven years to become a principal. That's fantastic, wow. <laughs> So it's really wonderful. <laughs> what a ride, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it went so fast. I've been there 21 years now. It's, wow, it's, that's it's amazing. Insane. Yeah, that's so inspiring. So cool. I, I love hearing, um, hearing all the stories. Um, so obviously, that's kind of the, the quick rundown from the um, technical standpoint, what ranks you mm -hmm. got when looking back, kind of, what was your mental health like over, over those years? And how has it evolved as a professional now? Yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting question. And I spent some time thinking about this. So I've always been an anxious person. And as far as I can remember back when I started ballet, I remember being an anxious kid. Um, but it didn't really um, become, you know, overwhelming in a sense until I became a professional dancer. Um, and that's just sort of when everything collides at once and you're, um, I was 17, you know, and I was thrust into the professional world without really much guidance. Um, and I just remember uh, just like looking forward to the day that I would know all the ballets because having to learn all the ballets this like huge rep that we have was like extremely overwhelming having to yeah. remember all the ballets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was sort of the first thing that really like started to bother me, I think was, um, having to learn all this, remember everything and being expected 
to be able to do it at any moment, you know, <laughs> and I didn't necessarily have stage fright yet because I was in the core. I was doing, you know, I was understudying. So the anxiety about like being on stage wasn't there yet. That came later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, ca I can't even imagine the pressure. I mean, you grew up in a very prestigious school at CPYB, and now you're in a, another prestigious school at School of American Ballet. And then the pressure mm -hmm. of knowing where you want to go I assume that you had that goal to be a principal with your company. So that's yeah. quite a lot of pressure to be getting along with at such a young age. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. So the, the approach that they take at New York City Ballet, and this comes back, this goes back to George Balanchine. So Balanchine is still sort of running the company in a weird way, um, yeah. even though he has been gone for, you know, as long as I've been alive. Um, but, and Peter Martins would say this, he said, you know, we're just going to plop you in there. He would like make that like a dropping <laughs> hand and see how you do. So basically wow. it sort of took the, put the burden on the dancer to be able to survive this environment. And mm -hmm. they want to see basically whether you can handle it or whether you can't handle it. And handling it means both physically and mentally. Um, and I always thought, you know, I would look at people who had been in the company for 20, 30, you know, 25 years. And I, I was just like, how do how they get through this mentally? Like, how do they, for me, it wasn't about the physical longevity. It was about how do they, how do they manage to survive this mentally? Um, and some people, I guess, find a way, but I think we all have very similar struggles and just some people are able to work through them and deal with them yeah. better than others. <laughs> yeah, sure. So within those moments, right, that, that like plop you in, things like that, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously that makes it an interesting environment to be growing up in, right? You said you're 17 when you first um, enveloped in this environment of mm -hmm. what that creates. Within mm -hmm. that, were there certain either choreographers or seasons within the year or moments that felt more safe to you or moments that felt even um, either unsafe or a kind of more of a harsh environment? And how, how did you feel to bob and weave during those times? And how did that, how did that work for you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely remember I had this really hard season and that was when my anxiety got really bad and I had an anxiety attack before performance and everybody saw what was happening and um, it was, you know, really difficult and painful moments. And then I remember it took a little while for me to like find my, my footing again. And then a season after that, I remember I had great ballets to dance that weren't too stressful. And I remember um, I had good partners. Like for me, a lot of feeling safe on stage came from trusting my partner and knowing that they would um, take take care of me on stage. You know, um, yeah. Because I think for dancers, so much of the anxiety comes from uh, wanting to be perfect on stage, and we're expected to be perfect, and certainly some reactions that the, you know, the administration or management has given us have like really, really sunk in and created a complex. Like 
um, mm. I was doing the four temperaments and I would keep messing up this one turn sequence. But instead of like feeling supported and like, you know, let's help you. Like, let's try to figure out how we can make you do mm -hmm. this or let's make you change it, you know, something. Mm -hmm. um, instead, it was like this intense pressure that management was focused on me at that moment to see whether I would do it. Yeah. And usually I didn't because I was in my head and usually I didn't. And after the show, I would get like, people would shake their head at me. Like, wow. Just like wow. shrugging, like what, like mm -hmm. what's wrong with you basically. Um, and, but then they would continue to cast me in it. So it yeah, was so it's like, like why, <laughs> if you don't like it, why do you keep hiring me for this part? <laughs> so many exactly. mixed messages. Yeah. Yeah. Mixed messages. It was, it was like, okay, maybe they believe in me, but at the same time, like maybe mm -hmm. they just want to see if I keep failing. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's interesting. So Abby, talking about that environment and that specific instance, in your opinion, of course, do you sort of feel like, is, is it one or the other or neither and something else entirely, but do you feel like they are testing you or quote plopping you and seeing how you do? Do you think that is a function of them believing that this type of training produces a better dancer, like the, the quality, high, high quality of dancer that they want? Or is it more a function of, oh, well, I was put through this, so I have to put someone else through this in order to be sort of fully initiated as a principal dancer? Or, or is it something else, uh, in your perspective at least? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's a combination of both of those things. I think that that is the way George Balanchine did it. And I think that I mean, obviously all of, I mean, Peter Martins obviously was um, in the company with George Balanchine. And I think that just many of the things that he did and, and many ways that he ran the company were the way that Balanchine did it. And I certainly understand that that's the norm for them. That's like, that's how it, how it goes. Um, and, and I also think that there is a sense of like, um, maybe not even consciously, maybe subconsciously but there is a sense of okay this is what was done to me so it might not even be out of spite but it might just be like I don't know how else to do it you know this is the yeah. way it is yeah this got mm -hmm. me to where I ended up so it must work for other people even if it's uncomfortable exactly. yeah yeah exactly. gotcha very interesting I was talking to somebody once. Um, I was talking to a person about this, and they and they asked me whether my artistic director has ever made me cry. And I just started laughing because I was just like, <laughs> "Are you kidding me? Of course, like a million times." And right, like, what kind of question is that? Of course. <laughs> but then I was talking to another dancer, and she said, "Well." probably all artistic directors make their dancers cry. And I was like, well, maybe it's time to change that. Sure. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. That reminds me, I just saw something. Um, I think it was yesterday on, I think it was on Instagram, but it was something somebody had copied from Twitter, but it was something saying like, if you can't, 
if you can't be an artistic director without bullying, maybe you shouldn't be an artistic director. And I was like, wow, mic drop. Like that was, um, (laughs) it's kind of uh, um, calling it out a little bit, but it really is um, like maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe things can change, you know? Yeah. Um, But I, I think that people just think this is the way it is and there isn't even um a thought to like try to change it you know I mean this obviously doesn't I have heard from dancers who who have had wonderful artistic directors so I don't think I'm not saying this is like a you know um, right a system-wide problem but I do think that it's just this doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be this way well and I think many other industries if you think outside of the ballet world so to speak many, many industries have HR departments that would not allow the language and the behaviors that we just accept as normal, everyday work experience, you know? I mean, (laughs) I feel like most big, even larger corporate, like corporations and things like that, would just not allow that to, to continue, you know? No, absolutely not. But like you said, for us, we just, and sort of until even the Me Too movement, there was this like awakening. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you guys felt that way. I certainly did where I was like, oh, "Oh, wow, like that wasn't okay what he said (laughs) or what she did, you know? Um, Yeah. Maybe some casting choices that were made in regards to the Me Too movement and things like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing how that's affected every, every person in the world, really. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it is wonderful that it's being talked about, um, but slow to change, it seems. Yeah. And now um, it's sort of, (laughs) it's like, (laughs) It's on the back burner, like, already. Right, yeah. It it was like a, a trend that came into style quickly and then <laughs> just as quickly yeah. left our our consciousness. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, so I'd like to talk a little bit about your ballet upbringing. <laughs> Courtney and I just did okay. a whole episode of our, <laughs> like, baby years growing up in ballet, and then we did one on our teen years as well that's um, out. So... I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about the environment that you grew up in. I know that in your article about uh, generalized anxiety, you talked about competition being encouraged by your teachers between students. So how did that specifically impact your mental health? And are there any other things that uh, you experienced in your education that you think might have impacted you as well? Yeah. Um, so it was definitely a very um, interesting environment. And I know that um, we all had different experiences. I know that many of my, you know, colleagues and classmates had a different experience and a different perspective. Um, so I can only speak to mine, obviously. But I had a really interesting time. Um, I was brought up very quickly. I was like in the advanced class when I was ten. Like. I was given point shoes when I was seven, like, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Like very, very, um, I don't want to say favorite. Yeah. Favorite is fast track. Yeah. I was going to say favorite isn't the right word. Um, so there was that message that I was getting, but then, 
I also remember, and I wrote an article about this as well. I had gotten, I got like my first solo when I was nine and it was um, <laughs> yeah. Odalesque, Pas de Trois from Corsair. So I was like doing wow. double, double pirouettes on point, you know. And I just remember hearing some of the older girls saying, I had like walked through a room and they were talking about how I shouldn't be doing this variation. And, and they were like talking about me in this negative way. And that was the first time I experienced that. And yeah. so was that, was that your self-doubt article? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I have a whole list here. I read all, I read all of your articles in preparation for this. They're all great. We're guys, yeah. we're going to link you to all of the places where you can read Abby's stuff here at the end. But yeah, so that, that particular article, um, can I just quote you real fast? Please. Okay, guys. You'll so do it in my well, own words. I did a copy paste, so hopefully I get it right. You said, um, I painstakingly nourished that seed of self-doubt until it became a full-grown tree. Oh, that's beautiful. It was beautiful. That's why I wrote it down. It's so <laughs> relatable, too, and accurate. It gave me goosebumps because it's like <laughs> you can visualize this tree with these sharp branches, branches. without leaves. And, you know, oh. it's just... That oh, stuck with you. me, that, that little story about you as a nine-year-old and hearing for the first time that, well, maybe you shouldn't be where you're at kind of thing. So sorry to yes. interrupt your story, but I, that just sparked my memory of that quote. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I totally forgot. I don't know where that came from. That doesn't sound like something I'd say, but I guess it was. <laughs> um, so so I, I believe them. I was like, I shouldn't be doing this. And so I, I know that that affected how I was dancing, you know, I know that it affected how I was presenting myself, even as a nine-year-old, but it, you know, still got to do some, some fun things. But then as I progressed, um, my valley teacher, and I learned this much later, but she has this, um, sort of method that she, if she doesn't think you're going to be a professional dancer, she wants to give you your career while you're at CPYB. And she says that I like, I need to give them, yeah, give them their career. Um, so these young girls who she thinks aren't going to make it and she had an eye for it and we could all see it, you know, um, would get not all the time, but we'd get the, the the leading roles and things, and it was so confusing because oh my goodness, Aww. yeah. And so we didn't like I didn't understand. I didn't know this was her method until after I left. So for me, it was like I'm watching these girls who like, and this sounds egotistical, but like I knew I could dance circles around them, but yet they got the the lead roles and I was in the back, you know, and it was so confusing. So that was sort of my um, sort of advanced level years was like that. Yeah. I was always the demi soloist. I was always like, <laughs> I wasn't in, and then I wasn't tall enough. So there were all these right. reasons that like were given to me that just confused me and made me feel like, oh wow, I must be really bad. Yeah, yeah, the politics Feeling of that like must excuses. have been. Ugh. Yeah, the mind games. Yeah, yeah, the mind games, yeah. the politics 
like that must have been, especially as a young person. I mean, you're not an adult, right. so your brain's not fully formed. Yeah, like no. Wow. I mean, now <laughs> I, can, I can rationalize it. Sure. And then, like you said, we were absolutely we were we would be in class, and our teachers would say, literally, like, who's better, Abby or oh. Blank? Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh! And so it like it definitely pushed me because I was mm -hmm. like. I wanted to be, you know, like, who who wants to just, I'm competitive, so I didn't just back right. down from that. Yeah, of course. But, um, so it definitely made me a better dancer, but at the same time, like, I still, I still have that in my, in the back of my mind, like, when I'm in company class, I'm like, oh, is she doing that better than me? I'm like, oh my gosh, that's still in there, you know? Yeah. When really, I should just be focusing on myself. It turned our focus from what we were doing to what everyone else was doing, yes. how everyone else looked. And mm -hmm. it kind of like blurred our perception of ourselves because mm -hmm. obviously we were doing fine, but to us, someone else is better, you know? Yeah, it's like you're standing in the shadow of that tree of self-doubt all the time, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. it's in there. It's in there. Yeah, it follows you, doesn't it? Well, maybe someday we can all chop that tree right down. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Or we can like, yeah. let it bloom into yes. some flowers or something. Yes. Oh, I love that even more. Maybe, so I do, I'm a ballet teacher and I do visualizations and like mindfulness oh. exercises. So I think oh, I'm actually great. going to steal that from you and have us imagine our self-doubt tree and then imagine it blooming into something else. I'll have to work on that, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. Let me know how that works. Yeah, for sure. So talking about um, you yourself now are a teacher, yeah? So yeah. talking about learning from your past experiences and what obviously pushed you, but then maybe to what expense, mentally speaking, what mm -hmm. kinds of um, tools do you give your students? What does your teaching style look like based on your past experience? Yeah, that's, that's a... It's very interesting, and I was thinking a little bit about this too. I mean, I I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm a great teacher. Like I think I'm an okay teacher. I'm I'm fine. I'm sure that's um, not true. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think I'm like a great teacher. I've um, always ballet. I felt always came naturally to me. Um, so I never thought about how I was doing ballet. I just did it. And I learned, like, I learned all my steps. I learned everything when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old because I would fast track, you know? So I don't remember how I learned things. I just knew them. Um, mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to explain to students, like, how, how to do a step. I'm much better with, like, sort of <laughs> helping them, like, look better than I am to be like, okay, like, to do a pirouette, you need to think of this and this and this and this like that's gotcha. just not interesting I just yeah um so and I understand like I I mean it is interesting to be in the front of the room and I have no idea what's going on with the kids with the with the girls I teach I don't know what they're thinking like I don't know who's friends with who or who's competitive with who or like so that's really interesting to me because 
as a student, I remember feeling like it was also obvious. Like, yeah, we were all thinking Uh and feeling and who was like fighting with who and, (laughs) and do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, that that tension being very clear and laid out. Yeah, it's such an integral part of your education, your relationships with your peers. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so I, so I'm like, oh, wow, like teachers really have no idea what's going on. Um, So I try to keep that in mind, like, okay, there are things happening that I'm not aware of. um, And I'm just going to try to, I just try to be positive. Um, I certainly don't use any of the competitive tactics. I um, very positive, like I give a lot of um, I'm just like, good job. That's great. You know, a lot of that. Um, if I see a dancer who is like maybe struggling, but then did something well for them, that was good, like for their own development. Yeah. Um, I always want to address that, but then keeping in mind that to the students, I just, just think how that looked to me as a student when a dancer who wasn't going to make it as a dancer was getting attention. You know, it's just, it's, yeah. it, there's a lot, I can't really explain it, but there's Extra a lot layers of layers um, there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of layers. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, and if I just try to keep it light, like if somebody's trying to do a pirouette and I'm trying to help them and we don't get anywhere or we make it or I make it worse you know I'm just like okay we're just gonna try that another day you know yeah so just trying to um that's important though that's that's really important as a teacher to not allow them to spiral about something because that's a hundred percent of the time that's going to make it worse you were talking about your solo and the was it four temperaments earlier and yeah. you just spiral, you just continued to spiral because you kept getting that negative feedback and it was just a vicious cycle. So just exactly. simply breaking that for your students. I mean, I think that's, that is actually a really important skill that we have to learn as dancers to, when you feel yourself starting to ruminate, which yeah. ruminating is, is a destructive mental health behavior. When you feel yourself starting to ruminate, if you have that skill to be like, okay, no, we have another day tomorrow to work on this. It's not required that it's perfect in this second. Um, that skill that you provide for your students of, like you said, keeping it light and stopping that cycle. I mean, I think that's really, really useful. Um, I think it's very yeah. important too. I yeah. mean, when you're saying like, I don't think I'm a good teacher and I'm see- sitting here hearing all these encur- tactics of encouragement and understanding uh-huh. and rationality and like, having a level head about there is another day like this moment this minute in class right now is not the end all be all um I would give yourself an extra pat on the back about that that's Aww. what that's I I think that's that's part of what we're right like the, the first thing is awareness that like think tactics have to change but step two is implementing those tactics and you are at an elite school implementing those tactics so I'm giving, giving myself goosebumps just thinking about your impact so yeah. right. that's incredible well, thank you. I never thought of it that way. To me, being a good teacher is like getting your students' technique, you know. Um, and there is technique, world. but if, I yeah. mean, if, if they don't even make it to this stage because they're so torn down, 
Yeah, that's, that's also point. not great, you know? <laughs> I also think it's really interesting that, um, I mean, I don't know for sure, you'll know, be able to tell me. So your students that you have, how many total ballet teachers do they see in a week outside of choreography, like just technique classes, do you know? A lot. You a know, lot, yeah. Eight or 10, yeah. Exactly. So I, mm -hmm. I, so Courtney and I, I don't think we told you, we're both also massage therapists. That's actually how we met in massage school. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, my whole point is, is that um, something we learned as massage therapists in school that was sort of hammered into us is that you cannot be everything to everyone. And so the fact that your, your kids are getting eight to 10 technique teachers throughout the week, I feel like it takes off the pressure a little bit because you say that you're not a good teacher, but it seems like you are a great teacher. Oh, thank you. Like you're, you're, you're providing something they may not be getting from another teacher. Right. You know, it's like. I, I hope so. I never thought of it that way. Thank you to both of you for illuminating that for me. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, you can probably reflect back, uh, you know, on your time at SAB or at CPYB and you probably, I know I personally would go into a class knowing that this teacher really loved to focus on Grand Allegro, which was my forte. So I would get really excited for that class or another class I knew that I was going to really get my port de bra better or, you know, things like that. So I think that kids take different things from different teachers. And yeah. again, you know, if you're giving them the tools to survive in a company, I mean, that's, they have to have those for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. And, and as we were talking about earlier, you know, three quarters of the challenge is the, is, um, surviving mentally, you know, yeah. in a ballet company. Right. Yeah, so much of what they say, right. Is ballet gives you all these life lessons to keep going, but those moments of like not spiraling into self-sabotage, that's clearly something that is very applicable to life after dance. I feel like a lot of times it's like the negative reinforcements that we're like, oh, we got to toughen you up, but it's also, yeah. th there is another side of it. So I don't know, just want to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So kind of going off of that, um, do you ever feel like because, because the pressure is on, you know, to, to create beautiful, dynamic, strong, technically strong artistic dancers, um, do you ever feel the pressure to use some t teaching tactics that you're not comfortable with or that you think you experienced that were not so great for you? Is there any kind of pressure in that way? No, um, I definitely, I don't, um, SAB is great. Um, they really sort of let us, you know, we have to teach within the balancing technique, um, obviously. Right. Yeah, for <laughs> but, sure. <laughs> but they're really good about letting their teachers go in the room and and um, do what they do because as you said every teacher is different and students take different things from different teachers um, mm -hmm. so yeah I mean they definitely encourage us to you know pay attention to all the students um, I would yeah I would just say that anything that we're encouraged to do is, is positive so that's that's, that's great yeah that's, that's great, great to hear yeah yeah sure. Um, so kind of moving past the school environment and leaning into your um, company years, from your perspective, as far as 
casting goes, if we dive into casting a little bit, how do you feel like the mental health of professional dancers um, can affect casting across the ranks? Yeah, um, so casting is the end all be all as a ballet dancer. I'm sure you both can relate to this. So yeah, sure. casting, yeah, casting is all that you have to sort of, for us, for, you know, to gauge how you're doing, how, how um, management thinks you're doing, how you look. Um, and it's, it's, it's tough um, because there's, there are a lot of dancers and casting has to be spread out. But at the same time, um, it's, it's like if you don't get a role, you, it affects you, your whole person. It's like a rejection of, of you. It's like, yes. and it's hard, it's hard to explain to people who are writers or um, work in business because when they produce work, it's not, it's not their person. It's not them. It's just mm -hmm. what they have produced. And as ballet dancers, we're being criticized for how we how we look and how we how we move and and our creative ideas and our artistry. Like that is what is being criticized. Mm -hmm. It's our person. It's who we are. It's our like I even had my personality criticized. Like it's oh. just it's <laughs> <That's yeah. rough. laughs> it that was a wrap. That one stuck with me too. Um so it's like you don't get a role you want. You take it so personally, it's like devastating. And then, but then at the same time, if you do get a role that you want, then you're like, okay, now I have to do it and I have to do it well. And then, so <laughs> then that creates anxiety because, oh, he gave me this role, but what if I can't do it well? Yeah, so you still you have to prove it. yourself. So you want, you want that role, but then once you get it, you're like, oh no. But if you don't get it, you're like, oh no. So yeah. It's like, yeah. It's just, um, a little really, bit of a lose-lose. Yeah. For, for me, absolutely. It was. All right, Abby, we're going to pause right there since we have so much to talk about. We are going to divide up this episode into two. So everyone out there, you'll have a chance to kind of sit with this information, digest all the amazing things that Abby is sharing with us. Um, before we pause though, for our listeners, please do let us know where they can find your articles. Yeah, so um, I write for both Point Magazine and Dance Magazine. So if awesome. you just um, log on to pointmagazine.com or dancemagazine.com, and just search for my name, um, they should all come up. Yes, and we'll link those below in the show notes, you guys, so that you'll, you can easily click on them and read all of the amazing articles that Abby has written so far. And just make sure you tune in next time to hear part two of our conversation with Abby. All right, great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, I can't wait to, to hear this episode. All right, great, thanks. You guys, there is so much content here that we want to get to. So we're going to pause here. Thank you so much for tuning in today for part one. We really hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, we'd be so thankful if you would leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and share our podcast with your people to help us get the word out. And if you have any particular topics you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like to hear from, 
you can email those to us at dancebetterpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dancebetterpodcast. And to catch us in our own lanes, you can follow me, Courtney, on Instagram at Court Ulrich. That's spelled C-O-U-R-T-U-L-R-I-C-H. To follow me on my own journey as a former dancer pursuing intentional wellness as a 20-something live dog mom, all things Courtney. And you can also now join my free Facebook group, Strong But Struggling Young Women. Come connect with a community of women who are in the same boat looking to level up their relationship with their body image, their mental health, and their self-worth. And you can follow me on Instagram at techballet, that's T-E-C-H-B-A-L-L-E-T, for more information on my virtual ballet programs, where I integrate mindfulness work and injury prevention so that every dancer that steps into my class feels empowered to explore their movement with a whole body wellness approach in mind. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. We hope you have a very happy new year and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.